Welcome to the Faith Church Podcast, where every week we post sermons from our lead pastor, Rick Shule, and guest preachers, as well as other content from church members and staff. We hope you hear something that resonates with your soul this week. As we get into the story today, something really interesting is happening in this story. We hear the story in John's Gospel about Jesus coming to Peter and the disciples. Oh, I forgot to mention. You're right. Thank you. Children, y'all can be dismissed with Abby to Sunday school. You almost learned about Peter this morning, but now you're, gonna, you're off to make some megaphones, I think. All right. Thanks, kids. <laughs> All right. Man, they almost heard a sermon. My goodness, well, the horror. Um, <laughs> in the story in John's Gospel, we have Jesus coming to the disciples again. It's been several weeks since the resurrection, but something is not quite right with the disciples. Something isn't quite working in the church just yet. It's true, Jesus has risen from the dead, but the mission, it's in shambles, Right? Why? Because all the disciples, they believed that Jesus was going to be the one that turns the world upside down. They believed that he was going to be the one to overthrow the Roman Empire, to put Israel back on top, to set them free. But then when the chips were down, when Jesus was caught in a trap, when he was likely to be killed, all the disciples, except for the women disciples and John, all the disciples left. By the way, Sometimes we think that disciples just means the 12, but there were more disciples than the 12, and they weren't all men, okay? Let's just say that first. Amen. So, all the boy disciples had deserted Jesus at the cross. (laughs) And now Jesus has been risen from the dead, and these people who thought that they were going to be the leaders in this movement, they don't know what to do with themselves, because they faced a hard truth that when things got hard for them, they ran. They are not faithful. When things didn't feel good for a moment, they were out. And yes, Jesus has been risen from the dead, but now what? Do I belong? Am I still a part of this? If, even if I don't feel it? Even if I realize that I'm a fair-weather friend of Jesus? That's what the disciples are going through. Jesus had been risen from the dead, but they're looking around and the world hasn't been made right yet. Rome is still in power. They're still under oppression. And so they're living in this in-between time. They're living in between the resurrection and their hope. They're living in between the resurrection and this little word that I love, eschaton. Y'all want to learn some theology this morning. Eschaton is Greek for last things. It is the word for the hope of all creation, where we hope this thing, this project goes. The prophets in the Old Testament called it the day of the Lord. Jesus called it the kingdom of God. Paul calls it the new creation. I often just say a world made right. That's the eschaton. That's what we're hoping for. And so the disciples having experienced a taste of resurrection, of new life, but looking around and seeing that we're not there yet, struggle, struggle. And church, we're still in that moment. 
even in our personal lives, maybe we've experienced Christ, maybe we can say, yes, I believe, but I look around and things are rough and I don't know if I'm that sturdy. Maybe some of us are feeling a little bit like a fair-weather friend like those disciples. The church is in that in-between time. Yes, we believe that Christ has won the decisive victory against evil and death in this world, and yet when we look out, maybe evil and death hasn't got the memo yet. Still feels like they're working out there. So we, like the disciples, live in between the resurrection and the eschaton, wondering where this movement is going to go, or even if we are worthy to be a part of the movement with our shaky faiths, with our ready-to-run-at-any-moment attitude. That's what the disciples were feeling. Peter, above all of them. Oh, Peter was the brash disciple, the, the one who maybe self-proclaimed leader of the disciples, thought that he had it right, thought that he was going to be worthy of leadership in this movement. He was the one that Jesus told, hey, you're going to desert me. Y'all are going to desert me. You're going to deny me three times. He says back to Jesus, no, I'm not. And then he does exactly that. Here on the other side of the resurrection, Jesus has proven that God's love and life overcomes all of that, every failure and mistake, and yet Peter still carries it, unsure of what he's going to do with himself. On this side of the resurrection, he says these heartbreaking words. He says, I'm going fishing. For some of y'all, that's not a heartbreaking statement, but you might like fishing, Peter's not talking about fishing out of recreation. He's not saying, I got to get out on the lake. I got to clear my mind. I need some quiet time. He's saying, I'm going back. Fishing is not a recreational sport for him. It's his old life. It's what he used to do before he met Jesus. Peter, down and out, feels like, I'm done. And so Peter says, I'm going fishing. The other disciples said, we're coming with you. We're not going to let you be alone in this. We're going to come with you. Peter goes back to fishing. In those days, the fishermen would go out and they would fish at night. In the morning, the merchants would go to the seashore. They would call out and ask if you have any fish. You would sell your fish to the, to the merchants. They would sell that in the market and then you would sleep out the day. This night that Peter and his buddies go out fishing, they catch nothing. So, Peter, already feeling like a failure of a Christian, decides, I'm going to go back to being a fisherman, finds out that he can't even do that right anymore. Can you feel the despair? He has no direction. Where am I going to go? Who am I anymore? real crisis has happened. That morning, Jesus stands on the shore. Jesus appears to them. They don't recognize that it's Jesus. Isn't that interesting? In the garden on resurrection day, Mary didn't recognize that it was Jesus when he came to her. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about a couple who are walking back to their home in Emmaus, and Jesus shows up to them engages them in conversation. They don't recognize that it's Jesus. 
either. And I wonder if Jesus is showing up in our lives, in the conversation of friends, in the words of a song, in the sounds of nature, speaking to us, and maybe we don't recognize that it's Jesus in the moment. Anyways, Jesus goes out to the shores and he calls out to the disciples, the fishermen who've caught nothing all night. And as you can imagine, if you've caught nothing all night, you're not exactly a happy camper. It means you're not getting paid for that day. It means that it was all a waste. And so the last people you want to talk to are the merchants on the shore wanting to buy your fish. Jesus calls out to the disciples, caught any fish? Peter and the disciples, no, leave us alone. Have you tried throwing nets on the other side of the boat? <laughs> what? Who is this guy telling us how to fish? Yeah, we've tried all the sides of the boat. Thanks for asking. But that morning, maybe something in their memory starts to move in them a little bit. They start to remember this feels oddly familiar. They're reminded of the first time that they were called from their boats and their nets. The first time they heard about Jesus, the first time Jesus said, come and follow me, the first time when Jesus said, throw your nets on the other side of the boat, and they lifted them up and they were full of fish, so much so that their boat started to sink. And they started to feel that tingle of that memory of that first meeting, a relationship beginning again. They throw the nets over to the other side of the boat. It's so full that their boat starts to sink again. Somebody taps Peter on the shoulder and said, it's Jesus, it's the Lord. And then the scriptures say something kind of strange. It says that upon hearing this, Peter puts his clothes back on and jumps in the water. Someone in the first service said, that mean he was uh, swimming naked? Uh, maybe, I don't know, or uh, fishing naked. Uh, maybe, I don't know. Get your mind out of the gutter. Um, but what a weird thing that he throws his clothes back on when he goes to see Jesus. What is happening there? Why? Why this really strange detail? I want to remind us that we are Western scientific modern people who care about historicity, right? We read ourselves into that. And we go, huh, that's a strange detail. The book wasn't written by people like us. They're not trying to write for historicity. They're trying to write for beauty. They're trying to write for meaning and symbolism. And just as in the resurrection, we have a garden, a new garden of Eden, new life coming, just as Jesus breathed breath into the disciples like God breathed breath into Adam, just like Adam and Eve, who were ashamed of what they did, tried to make clothes to hide themselves. Peter, upon hearing that the Lord is coming by, wraps himself up. I don't want to be seen. I don't think I'm ready for this. He hides himself, jumps in the water, swims to shore. Jesus there has breakfast already ready. Um, he says, come and bring the fish that you've caught. The scripture says that they bring 153 uh, fish. And remember, the, the book is written for symbolism and meaning. 
And if you know the symbolism and meaning of 153 fish, go ahead and email me later and, and let me know. <laughs> I don't quite know. That one's a mystery to me. But what's not a mystery to me is what Jesus does next and how important and pointed and crucial it is. Peter is about done with this whole Christian project. When things were rough, he was found to be shaky in his beliefs, in his faithfulness, in his actions. He doesn't think that he belongs anymore. And so Jesus goes to him and he takes him back to the beginning. He starts him over again. He says to him, Simon, son of John, ooh, do you hear why that's painful? Simon, son of John, that's his old name. Remember when he made the confession that you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God, you are my Lord. Jesus said, yeah, your name is going to be Peter from now on. You're the rock. On this rock, I'm going to build my church. Jesus goes back to Peter, doesn't call him Peter anymore, calls him by his maiden name. He says, Simon, son of John, here we are. Let's start over again, shall we? Do you love me? That's the question. It's not, hey, do you promise to never screw up again? It's not, hey, do you believe beyond a shadow of doubt all these things? It's not, hey, are you going to be the leader I need you to be? It comes back to motivation first and foremost. What is at the center of your heart? Is it love? If it's love, then I can work with you. If it's love, then we got something that we can shape together. If it's love, then you can be a part of this mission. If it's love, you can lead this mission. If it's love, then you don't gotta worry about those failures anymore. Yes, you denied me three times, but look at me, baby, I'm, I'm healed, I'm resurrected. What can harm me now? But I need you to be a part of this. And so, let's get to the heart of matters. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. I love you. Then join up. Feed my sheep. Bless this world. Be a part of this mission of blessing. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon knows what Jesus is doing now. Yes, Lord, you know that I love Take care of my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three times love to cover over the three times of betrayal. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Feed my lambs. The scripture goes on to say that uh, Jesus says to Peter that, Wherever, when you were young, you did what you want, but when you're older, you're going to be led around and you're going to give your life to this ministry. You're going to give your life to this mission. You are faithful if love is at the center of what you do, if love is where you are at. And so then Jesus ends with the words that he began with. Follow me. Follow me. 
Learn from me again. Let me care for you. Look, your failure, your mistake, that, that was real. That happened. But my love overshadows all failure, all sin. This is why Paul says in Romans that where sin increases, grace multiplies even more. God's love and God's grace is an outsized solution to the problem of sin. It's like sin is like a drop of dye in an ocean of God's love. God has obliterated the failures and sins of the past with God's love. And so, you need not think of them anymore. Those problems, those failures, they are dwarfed by God's love and what God's love can do in you. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all figured out. But if you can say at the center of what you do and who you are, if it's love, then God can work with you. In the Methodist tradition, we, uh, we kind of like this idea of love, right? We believe strongly that God is love and that any theological arguments we get into, we err on the side of love. We believe Jesus when Jesus says the first commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we think that growth in faith is actually growth in love for God and neighbor. When we think about holiness, when we think about being a perfect Christian, John Wesley said, that's perfect love loving in every situation that you can. So our call is to do the most loving thing wherever we can, to make love the motivation of everything. If this morning you're trying to figure out where you are, where you are in your faith, where you are and how you fit into what God is doing in the world, where you are in the church, Jesus has a simple question. Do you love me? Is there love at the center of all you do? If so, then let's change the world together. If so, then let's make things right. Let's work together. Love is the answer for everything. As we think about these things, I got a, a couple of questions for you to, to roll over in your brain as you keep on going. What is, the question I've got for you is, what is the motivation for anything that you do? Anything that you do. And can you make it love? If you can make love the motivation for your job, your hobby, all your relationships, going to church, anything that you do, you will enhance that thing that you do, enjoy it more, and find ways to bless others with it. What is the motivation for you to do anything that you're doing? And can you make it love? Second question I've got is, how did your relationship with Jesus start? What would going back to the beginning look like? For me, like oddly enough, it was when I was like six years old and I heard the story of Samson and I heard God make a deal with Samson that, you know, if, if uh, Samson didn't cut his hair, God would give him big muscles. And as a six-year-old, I was like, I like a God who makes deals like this. And I was like, okay, God, what kind of deal you want? And as I was six years old, I thought, God, you want, if I pray every night before I go to bed, will you give me big muscles? <laughs> that was the deal. I've missed a couple nights. <laughs> but when I find myself lost a little bit, 
I go back to the stories of the Old Testament. I go back to my night prayers. And that's where Jesus finds me again and again. Where does Jesus find you again? What was the beginning of your Christian journey? And um, finally, what are the things that we do to continue to grow in love? As Methodists in the church, we believe everything that we do here should be helping us to grow in love for God and for each other. If it's not doing that, then we're wasting our time, and you should let me know. But everything we offer here is an opportunity for us to open our hearts to God and say, God, help me to love more. Maybe today, if Jesus is saying to you, do you love me? Maybe your answer is, I want to. And that's okay. God can work with that also. What are those things that you need to do in your life to help grow in love for God and for neighbor? Thank you for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more about Faith United Methodist Church in Issaquah, Washington, visit our website at www.faithunited.org or call the church office at 425-392-0123. Have a great week.